0: What does quantum mechanics say about the nature of our reality? Our guest host, Dr. Michael Egnor, discusses his favorite discovery of modern science today on Mind Matters News. Welcome to Mind Matters News, where artificial and natural intelligence meet head on. What is the most fascinating discovery of modern science. We each have our opinion, and uh, my opinion is a discovery that my uh, guest, Bruce Gordon, can tell us quite a bit about. Dr. Gordon is a philosopher of science and an expert in the history of science. He is associate professor of history and philosophy of science at Houston Baptist University, and he's a senior fellow at the Center for Science and Culture at the Discovery Institute. Uh, he's also one of the smartest men I know. And I've been, actually, I've been dying to ask Bruce this question for a very long time. When I was in college, I was a, a biochemistry major, and I, I took some courses in quantum mechanics. And it was noted in the course that when you look at the most fundamental properties of subatomic particles, matter seems to disappear. That is, that the reality of the subatomic particles uh, is that they're mathematical concepts. And um, that utterly fascinated me, uh, that at its basic structure, reality is an idea which fits very nicely with idealism. So uh, uh, Dr. Gordon uh, is an expert on idealism and on uh, the uh, philosophy of science. And I wanted to ask him, uh, what do you think about all this?
1: Well, certainly my own path to idealism was paved by my reflections on the metaphysics of quantum physics. So I'm deeply sympathetic to the questions that you're raising. Uh, maybe we should do a little exploring of some of the phenomena of quantum physics that seem to point in this direction. So, of course, quantum physics is a highly mathematical theory uh, that describes the nature of reality at the atomic and subatomic level, and the mathematical descriptions of quantum physics have a variety of of uh, experimentally confirmed consequences that I would say preclude the possibility of a world of mind-independent material substances that's governed by efficient material causation. That's not the way that the world is is constituted, although that has been the way it, and is the way that we, we tend to think of it because we still you know, live in a reality that seems very much to be described by classical Newtonian kinds of mathematical descriptions. Uh, However, at the most fundamental level, that's not the case. So let's take a look at or talk about maybe some interesting quantum experiments that point toward the mind-dependent character of reality, okay? So one of the uh, standard ways of talking about quantum physics, uh, and of course quantum physics itself and the interpretation of it particularly has – been a cottage industry throughout the 20th century and, and on up to the present in the 21st century. Um, and there are a variety of different perspectives that, that have been offered. We have kind of standard Copenhagenism. We've got the many worlds interpretation. We've got de Broglie-Bohm, de hidden variable theory. We've got quantum logic. We've got Girardi-Ramini-Weber, spontaneous collapse theory, and on and on. But I would say that fundamentally, in the background, we've got, with all due respect to the the de Broglie-Bohm theorists and and other hidden variable advocates, a situation in which reality at the quantum level does not exist until it is observed. So what sort of indications do we have of that? Uh, I think one of the most fascinating ones is... What in the literature is referred to as the quantum eraser experiment or delayed choice quantum eraser experiment. What this experiment is set up to do is to measure, there's this inherent duality in quantum physics as well, wave-particle duality. Uh, When you're not not observing reality, it seems to behave in accordance with the Schrodinger wave equation and various relativistic uh, expressions of that and on into quantum field theory. But when you are observing it, it seems to take on a more particulate uh, character. So uh, what does the delayed choice quantum eraser experiment do? Well, it tries to measure which path a particle would have taken after interference in the wave function itself has been created, that is inconsistent with that particle behavior, so you're you've got a splitter of of some sort that's that's going to divide the quantum wave function and send it along two different paths, and then you're going to make a measurement along one of the paths to see uh, what what's happening. Okay, and that interference can be turned off or on by choosing whether or not to look at which path the interference uh, has taken or which path uh, the particle has taken. Um, after the interference already exists now if you don't look you get an interference phenomenon at the end if you do look the wave function instantaneously collapses and you detect the particle in that uh, along that pathway so choosing to look erases the wave function interference that already exists and gives the system a particle history okay and this this experiment has been performed under what would be called einstein locality conditions in other words Uh, no signal could have passed uh, subject to the limiting velocity of the speed of light between the components of the system to to cause the effect that you're observing. Okay. So it's a non-local collapse of the wave function that instantaneously gives a particle position to the measurement after a phenomena that is inconsistent with that has already been created. Mm -hmm. So, The very fact that we can make a causally disconnected choice of whether wave or particle phenomena are manifested in a quantum system essentially shows that there is no measurement independent and causally connected substantial material reality at the microphysical level that's, that's there. It is created by the measurement itself. What counts as a measurement? Well <laughs> now that is a deep question. So what can count as a measurement is any sort of interaction that would localize the wave function and yield a, a determinate local result. And that could involve a conscious observer or it might not involve a conscious observer.
0: What sort of measurement wouldn't involve a conscious observer? And does it pay does it matter how how much you pay attention if I'm <laughs> a little preoccupied. Do, do I not get much interference? But maybe a little, you know. Uh, because it, it it really implies that there's there's number one there there is an actual something that is observation, and it's a it's an on or off thing. It's yes or no. There's no in, there's no in between. And, and
1: what is that? Well, so this is going to take us into certain metaphysical interpretations of what's going on. Now, on a standard Copenhagen view, you would have a collapse of the wave function to a localized result. On, say, a many worlds interpretation, which I'm not that sympathetic with ontologically, but I do see a role for, in terms of deriving idealistic conclusions and embedding them in Uh, a context in which the universal wave function becomes a manifestation of divine omniscience. But that that could take us (laughs) a little bit farther afield than, than we probably want to go immediately, at least. So another thing that happens, another way of describing what's going on, is to think of it in terms of wave interference and a whole bunch of different quantum systems and their wave functions interacting, okay? Now, if you think about waves in water, you have phenomena of constructive or destructive interference. So if you think about a typical transverse wave in in the water, moving through the medium of the water, uh, it has a crest and and a trough. And if it meets another wave, say of the same size, coming from the other direction, then where the crests meet uh, the amplitude of the wave, the height of the wave, if you like, is 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 doubled if the waves are initially the same size. But where a crest meets a trough, they cancel out, and you observe calm water, even though that calmness is an artifact of the waves passing through each other and a crest meeting a trough. Now, when quantum systems decohere as they call it in, in, in this way when the when the wave functions cancel each other out in terms of, of destructive interference uh, effects you get the perception of a calm reality even though there it's really just quantum waves moving through each other that that generate that appearance so, uh, the substantiality then that you observe, or the calmness that you observe around you in quantum description, can be regarded as a de- phenomenon of, of decoherence. It's really the oh. the cancellation due to destructive interference of, of all of these quantum systems interacting with each other, such that reality appears calm, but underneath. Uh, There's nothing substantial. It's just the the, the wave functions interfering with each other.
0: The metaphysical um, implications of this, of course, are are fascinating and profound. But there's also kind of just an empiric reality that we have to take into account. Say, for example, that I'm a physicist who's looking at a quantum system and I'm actually looking at the oscilloscope or whatever our modern instrument is when it's happening, everybody would say, well, that's an observation for sure. Let's say that I'm not in the room and I'm just taping it, but I plan to look at it later. Mm-hmm. Is that an observation? And if I change my mind and decide not to look at it, does that change <laughs> the system? So all those things fascinate. I'm fascinated by what we mean by an observation, because in reality, observation is a continuum. I mean, I could be watching something, and then my mind wanders. And I'm thinking about lunch. Does that does that kind of make the system go back into indeterminacy, and then it becomes determined again when I focus on it?
1: Not necessarily. If you've got decoherence happening in the quantum metaphysics of the world around you, so. How, how do we bring this into relationship with um, idealism? I've, in fact, I was going to talk about some other experiments to to kind of further massage people's intuitions with respect to the nature of the reality that undergirds these sorts of phenomena. Let, let me talk about at least a couple more. Sure. Uh, and then we'll come back to... Um, the question of what's going on when we're not looking.
0: <laughs> right, right. Like, is the moon there if no one's looking at it?
1: Yes. Uh, David Merman, uh, the physicist at Cornell, uh, phrased things that way. Sure. So another phenomenon that's really quite fascinating, fascinating is a phenomenon of non-localizability of individual particles. So in quantum mechanical description, if you make some physically reasonable assumptions about individual particles, Most notably, I mean, there are a couple of other ones as well, but most notably, that the particle, an individual particle, can't be two places at once. And furthermore, that it can't serve as an infinite source of energy, so that you can't run the power needs of New York City on a single electron uh, from here to eternity. Right? If you make those two physically very reasonable assumptions, then In the formalism, the quantum mechanical formalism, you can demonstrate that uh, the particle in question has zero probability of existing in any bounded region of space, no matter how large. And you can close various loopholes in in that to, to make it kind of a rock solid result. So, what does that mean? It means that unobserved quanta don't exist anywhere in space and thus have no existence apart from being observed. And interestingly enough, there've been experiments conducted that that would support the quantum formalism. What does that mean then? It means that as far as microscopic material individuals are concerned, while particle talk may have pragmatic utility with respect to the measurement results that we observe and with respect to say macroscopic appearances, it has no basis in unobserved mind-independent reality. Okay, so that's just another example that would lead in the same direction as the the quantum eraser experiment that I talked about. Here's another one that's absolutely fascinating, and it's been dubbed the quantum Cheshire cat phenomenon. You you may recall from the story of Alice in Wonderland that Alice observes this this grinning Cheshire cat that, that then disappears leaving only its grin. And and Alice remarks that she's often seen a cat without a grin, but never a grin without a cat, <laughs> and <laughs> in essence, that's what's going on here, because certain experiments, uh, in particular one using a neutron interferometer, have separated the properties of neutrons from any sort of substrate. So, microphysical properties don't necessarily dis- require a substrate. What what did the the experiment do? Well it sent the position of neutrons along one path uh, and their spins along a separate path so it'd be kind of kind of like being uh, sending a, a a top along one path and the fact that it was spinning along a separate path or you know the redness of an object along one path and the location of that object along another path uh, it, Microphysical properties then can be separated from any idea of a substrate. They, they can be abstract properties <laughs> moving through, through through space. So I what, what do you get then? It would seem that under appropriate experimental conditions, quantum systems are decomposable into disembodied properties. It, it, kind of a collection of Cheshire Cat Grins, if you will. So... How is it that an abstract property could exist without any sort of substrate? Well, it can't. (laughs) And, of course, being a good kind of neo aristotelian uh, yourself, you would see properties as kind of mental abstractions from particulars, not existing in and of themselves, but only in the objects.
0: Well, the the property could exist in a mind.
1: Yes, that's exactly where I'm headed. Right, okay, yes, yes. (laughs) There is no physical substrate, but the property has to inhere in something, so it's inhering in the mind that perceives it. Uh-huh. And there is no, ultimately, there is no substrate that undergirds, physical substrate that undergirds that property. So in a way, you could look at the properties, the quantum mechanical properties, as kind of abstract particular properties, tropes even, but the tropes have to inhere in something. And what they can in is a mental substance, uh, not a physical
0: one. It's absolutely fascinating. What's particularly fascinating, as you point out, is how a a deep look at the um, peculiarities, at, at at the counterintuitive aspects of, quant- of, of the quantum world, suggests that only an idealistic uh, or an, an idealist metaphysics could make sense of all this, that materialist or perhaps even dualist metaphysical perspectives fail at the quantum level, but the idealist perspective doesn't. That's very interesting.
1: I would agree with that way of phrasing things. I'm not sure that you do entirely. I'm I'm pretty sure you have some reservations about it, but yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at.
0: Yeah. And I I must say, no, I I really do feel that way. Um, what, What I'm fascinated with is Uh, Particularly in neuroscience, there are aspects of the hylomorphic perspective of Aristotle and St. Thomas that really do seem to make sense of um, empirical scientific results in very nice ways. And I would love to see some kind of consilience between idealism and Aristotelian uh, metaphysics. But um, idealism as a theory of physics, to me, is the only one that seems to me to be viable.
1: Uh, and I'm I'm inclined to agree with you. I mean, one of the things that we didn't talk about is the possibility of macroscopic superpositions uh, as well, having what would classically be impossible systems in uh, superpositions of uh, the position observable systems in superposition. Well, of course, there are examples uh, of this under special laboratory conditions. Uh, you put large organic molecules have been put into superposition, but in uh, the context of uh, superconductivity, you've uh, got something called squids, and we're not talking about the, the the cephalopods here. We're talking about superconducting quantum interference devices. In that context, on a macroscopic level, uh, you've very uh, currents have been put into superposition, so that you've got, for example. Billions of electrons moving clockwise around a superconducting ring, superimposed on, similarly, billions of electrons moving anti-clockwise, so the two are put into superposition that way. So what what's going on there? Uh, you can't have substantial objects in superposition that way if they're materially substantial, but they can be superimposed as a projection on our mental environment. Uh, without any difficulty. It's like like uh, a projection on the screen of our consciousness of, of two incompatible classical states uh, that cannot be substantial materially, but can be superimposed mentally. And we are standing as an observer outside that superposition, observing it. Uh, we are not in superposition ourselves. So, uh, which I, I think in a way speaks towards something that can be said in response to the many worlds interpretation. But nonetheless, uh, that's just an added element of the peculiarity of of the quantum world as it creeps up or percolates up into our experiential reality. Uh, And we can make it percolate up into our experiential reality under special laboratory conditions which is why we haven't noticed it in previous centuries. And it's, it's taken modern technology and exploration of, of reality at its most fundamental level that, that modern technology has made possible to reveal this aspect of, of the nature of the world, of the nature of reality to us.
0: Although um, I, I must say that um, Heisenberg, uh, who is a, a philosophically rather sophisticated physicist, commented that the phenomenon of of quantum collapse was presaged in many ways by aristotle's notion of the um reduction of potency to act uh that is that uh, reality uh, has a has can exist in potential states but actuality is a single state and heisenberg was quite impressed with with the notion that 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 Aristotle had a deeper insight into these dynamics, uh, and that in, that insight was sort of lost uh, with the with Newtonian physics. So maybe science is just rediscovering Aristotle.
1: Okay, uh, and I'm sympathetic to the idea of potentiality in hearing in superposed states, and then expressing itself through decoherence, mm-hmm. uh, or if you like, a wave function collapse, depending on on. Uh, how you're describing it as actuality. So yes, uh, but but what's going on underneath the surface of the act, the actuality? If it's decoherence, it is essentially uh, destructive interference of potentiality.
0: <laughs> right, right. The what uh, other thing I'll, I'll just quickly mention that that absolutely fast, fascinated me was that um, uh, Saint Thomas, uh, kind of extending Aristotle's psychology. Um, pointed out that in order to understand or to perceive an object in the external environment, our, our intellect or our senses must grasp its form, uh, and that grasping of the form is the process of understanding. But St. Thomas pointed out that in order to grasp the form, it must be reduced from potency to act in order to grasp it. It must become actual and not merely p- potential, which to me... Sounds just like the observer effect in quantum mechanics that is to observe something our mind must make it actual to grasp its form.
1: Yes, one has to render it as a a concrete particular for the right. purpose of, of grasping it and right. understanding it. I don't disagree, and there is that kind of confluence of ideas that you're describing sure I'm sympathetic to, to looking at it that
0: way. You could even ask how could a how could an observer, a scientist understand a quantum system, if the quantum system were not reduced from potentiality to actuality, how can you understand something that's only potential if there is no actuality to it?
1: Right. And it, it is the interaction, if you like, of potentiality and actuality in the peculiarly quantum mechanical way that gave rise to the science.
0: Sure. Sure. So I, I want to thank Dr. Gordon uh, for this absolutely fascinating discussion. Uh, and we're actually, hopefully, in our next podcast, going to continue this discussion more in the realm of neuroscience. But thank you, Dr. Gordon. It's been a privilege uh, and fascinating. And I hope we can talk more about this.
1: I am looking forward to it. Thank you, Mike.
0: This is Mike Egner from Mind Matters News. Uh, and please join us for our next podcast. Thank you. This has been Mind Matters News. Explore more at mindmatters.ai. That's mindmatters.ai. Mind Matters News is directed and edited by Austin Egbert. The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the speakers. Mind Matters News is produced and copyrighted by the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence at Discovery Institute.